0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, we're about a week away from Christmas. You guys ready? <laughs> heard some yeses, heard some noes. It means some of you are going to be doing some last-minute shopping, I guess. Um, well, I want to start out by thanking our incredible youth ministry today. Our teams are- I think uh, Justin's giving Brian a little competition there, heading things on up for us this morning. What do you think? Yeah. Very, very encouraging on a lot of different fronts. want to thank Gina, Lindsay, obviously tech team, everybody else that kind of helped make it happen here this morning. Um, any of you guys seen Rogue One yet? How many purists do we have in here? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, all right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, You know, I'm just trying to figure out how to handle things most sensitively here. How many of you plan on seeing it? Okay, I'll just, I'll just, I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. I give it five stars. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I'm going to say a little bit more than that. Um, In the grand scheme of things, we've got a total of eight movies now, Right? Now, needless to say, Rogue One wouldn't have been able to take place if we hadn't had Episode 4, right? You guys following me? So I'd have to say Episode 4 is probably my favorite. Rogue One is definitively a very close number two. Uh, In some ways, I wish that the individuals who were involved with this one would have been involved with all of them, but I am grateful to George Lucas who started it all off. So anyway, no spoilers there, right? It wouldn't take a whole lot to spoil it, but again, I'll just leave it at that. Um, Christmas time, shopping. Any of you do Black Friday? Okay, we got a few of you uh, total crazies in the house here. You know, I, I've got a, no, you know, I can't probably move any of this stuff. Where's Gina? I feel like I'm in a cage in here, man. I'm surrounded by things that I can trip over. Anyway, uh, well, you want me closer? Well, I guess it's okay. There's nobody in the front row, so nobody needs to worry about being spit on here. Shopping. How many of you actually enjoy it? Yeah, you guys think it's a sport, right? (laughs) It's amazing the craziness when it comes to the fervor involved with gifts. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what, you know, Christmas is probably one of the ones that stands out the most because it's the most commercial. We probably get slammed by the media more on this one than we do anything else. Um, Some of you probably wish it was that way when it came to your own birthdays, but, you know, sorry, doesn't quite work out that way. But birthdays, Christmas, anniversaries, whatever it may be, you, we all want to get that special gift, right? Husband, wife, if you're an a aunt or uncle, you want to really tighten up the nephew and niece, really make them feel special. If you've got grandkids, uh, I'm telling you, man, I, every time I turn around, there's something on our porch from Amazon.com for Cadence, our grandbaby. <laughs> the one that I am the most amused by, though, and I can't wait till she gets on it, we have our very own percussionist. This being ushered on in here this Christmas, and that she loves banging on stuff, but we bought her an electronic drum set. I've been talking about this for about as long as I've been married, and not being able to wait to give a noisemaker to my grandbaby. Now, I don't know if that has any bearing on how I feel about my kids one way or the other, but you can figure that one out. What are the One of the, the craziest ones, though, looking back, and I can't believe that we've still got them in the mix today, whether it's the... Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or the Power Rangers. I mean, they're all back with major motion pictures today, which boggles my mind. But uh, one, of the, one of the craziest ones was, I remember Stephen wanted the Megazord. You know, they all kind of combined to make... It's kind of like the Transformer thing. But anyway, there was this ginormous beast of a thing at Toys R Us. With the only exception is they got like one or two every Tuesday. It's kind of like, you know, when they release videos, they release these toys... We had our friends, we had our relatives, I'm waiting in line, Jackie's waiting in line, we're all over the place for weeks. I must have seen 50 Toys or Us prior to Christmas. I'm just glad those days are over, now it's (laughs) Amazon.com. But you know, I think it's a good idea to talk about gift giving today, obviously as we head into the Christmas season, so with that I've got a short video I'd uh, like for us to have the opportunity to watch here. You know, it helps if I turn on my remote. There we go. Alien predators. Inhuman terminators. Nuclear terrorists. One man has conquered them all. Now, he faces his most fearsome challenge ever. his son the most wanted toy in the nation on the day before Christmas but this time it'll take more than muscle it'll take a miracle (laughs) <laughs> I got the last one, sucker. <laughs> this is war. Any hey, of you relate to that at all? I mean, this is kind of a humorous take on it. I mean, honestly, we've seen the uh, mad rushes at Best Buy and uh, Walmart. I mean, people have been killed when it comes to gifts, purchasing gifts. You know, and it's uh, kind of interesting, looking back through the years, uh, there's a website called Statistic Brain, which has tracked the most wanted gifts since, I went back to 1983. Cabbage Patch. You guys recognize any of these? Kind of crazy, right? You know, the one for me that, uh, any of you know what that thing in the right middle is? <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago. That was 1997. This is crazy. You know, I mean, we, we've pretty much tagged all of these uh, with our kids, with the exception of the iPod, got the Snuggie, uh, Teddy Ruxpin, man, what were they thinking when they designed that thing? I remember getting that thing home, putting the batteries in it, and it's like, I think this thing's like demonic. I mean, this is, he's just flat creepy. Furbies weren't much better. One of my favorites was the Pogs. Can anybody tell me why? The the ones there on the left middle. I mean, my kids were totally into it, my son in particular. It was three bucks a package. I mean, it was awesome. But it's just amazing, and these are all things that people have fought for to get to bring home. You know, those must-have gifts. And you know, we think, we think about it. Offer required an enormous amount of scheming or strategy, as I shared about what we had to do to get some of them. Uh, you know, usually there was a limited supply. I want you to think for a moment about a particular gift that you were trying to get someone. Just think for a moment. What was the craziest thing you ever did to pull that off? I mean, the bottom line is we love to give, right? Some of our stories, thinking through them, you may have some that were a little scary, dangerous, funny, painful, time-consuming. I I, I can relate to the the painful, time-consuming ones where you're out there and it's like in the 30s and you're in a line, you're like number 50 in a line of a few hundred wrapping around the Toys R Us building. And some of you may even be paying for those gifts. But whatever the case, the thing that I love about this the most is that God gets it. God totally gets it. He's just like us. Much more than us. God longs to shower us with gifts, with his blessings. And with that, as we move forward this morning, I want us to take a look at exactly what God was willing to do. The scheming, the planning, the length that God would go to to give us the greatest, most incredible gift of all, the most precious gift of all, which is our salvation. It's a gift that's not only free, but one of the things I love about God is it's something that he made absolutely available to everyone. You know, Brian, last week, took us through a number of different aspects of this time of year in the first century. The census, the taxes, the shepherds, the major scene. And really, thinking through that manger scene, the individuals that came, where they were at, God in the flesh, the incarnation, in a food trough, in a cave. You know, we think about the things that took place prior to that point in time, Mary's unconditional surrender to the will of God. Joseph, I I can't even begin to imagine you know, you're the woman that you're betrothed to is like, yeah, you know, I'm pregnant. And, you know, this angel kind of came to me and said that this was going to take place. And, and yet his unconditional lo- love for Mary, the fact that he could have just kicked her out on the street, but he was dedicated to her. He loved her. And what an incredible time that must have been for him when he realized this was legit, when it came to fruition, when the the shepherds showed up and then the magi showed up. You know, the shepherds, the lowliest of the low, the recipients of this incredible message. And ultimately, for me, the magi with the, the... position that they had, how they were looked to, how they were revered because of their wisdom, their foresight, and yet the incredible humility that they were willing to embrace as they went to go see this Messiah. You know, there's one last place in the Nativity scene that I'd like us to look at this morning, and ultimately it is the most important place of all, and that's just really thinking through that Jesus became a man, and that men including his own son, have always been God's method, God's strategy, Jesus' strategy. You know, Hebrews 4 does a really good job of summing this up. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Here's the thing that's huge, yet without sin. And because of Jesus being able to come down in the flesh and take on everything that we know, yet remain sinless, he became the final sacrifice so that we would have the opportunity to be purified from our sins through the waters of baptism and enter into this pure, blameless relationship with God. Martin Luther says it like this. He says, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself, into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. We cannot even really begin to understand. Our primary text this morning is going to come out of Philippians 2, and for me, this is, this is always my go-to when I have issues, when I start feeling ungrateful that I deserve something, that why, aren't, why isn't this going on? Why aren't I doing this? How come, God, my prayers aren't being answered in this area? Philippians 2 always helps me realign my heart and get it back into the right place that enables me to maintain a proper relationship with God. In verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Nothing. In the ASV, it says, he emptied himself out, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I like this this verse because it takes us all the way from the manger. You know, we even see, through the years, we've seen how people poke fun at the manger scene. You know, Talladega Nights. Will Ferrell praying to the baby Jesus. You know, the interaction with his wife about, you know, he was grown, he had a beard. And I think in so many ways of that baby Jesus is so comfortable for us. You know, most of us when we think of babies, you know, they're kind of cool, kind of cute. Have a few expectations. But, you know, they're, they're easy to interact with. Generally speaking, they're approachable. But to to think about Jesus, the baby, as that man on the cross in our place, that's uncomfortable. That's why I like this verse, because it takes us away from the manger to the cross. Christ humbled himself, and he became a slave. God became man. And not only was he born humbly, he died humbly as well. In great shame. Criminal's death. And ultimately, that was to pay the price that each of us are called to pay because of our conduct and our way we've broken covenant with God. How do I know God loves me, even cares about me, or my pain, my situations, my suffering, my victories, my failures, my trials? Does he hear me when I pray? You know, as a minister, I've been asked these questions many times through the years by those that are hurting those that have suffered loss, those that are suffering. And as a minister, I find myself among the grieving, the discouraged, those that are emotionally distraught, spiritually and physically hurting people, men and women, on a very consistent basis. And you know what, I think with all of that, all of us, myself included, we can struggle with doubts over God's love and care in the midst of specifically unexpected loss, sudden tragedies that take place in our life. You know, and I try to remind those that are hurting that we know that God loves us because he doesn't remain aloof in heaven. This is what I love about God. God doesn't look at our pain from a distance and send us well wishes or good well cards. He was so concerned with each of us individually, our own personal interests versus his own, rather than send those well wishes or get well cards. He ultimately decided to come on down to earth and pay us a personal visit himself. You know, in verse 4, the Philippians 2, says, everyone should look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. You know, we think about this. God is The Father sent His Son to take on our human flesh and fully immersed Himself into our struggles and challenges to bear our pain. God the Son entered our fallen, tragic world and experienced all of our suffering while bearing our sin and shame. Jesus came among us in a broken state to display, reveal, and release the love of God into our lives. God never stayed aloof. See, the Son of God didn't stay safe in the immunity of His heaven. Remote from human sin and tragedy, He actually entered our world. This blows my mind. I I have such a hard time embracing this conceptually. He emptied Himself of the glory He deserved as the King of kings. He left His rightful place, His seat at the right hand of God. And He humbled Himself to serve each and every one of us individually. He took our nature, he lived our life, he endured our temptations, he experienced our sorrows, felt our hurts, bore our sin, and died my death. Died your death. He never stayed aloof from the people that you would expect him to avoid. He made friends with the dropouts in society, the has-beens, the damaged, the unclean of his society. He touched the untouchables, He couldn't become more of one with us than he did. And this is a total demonstration of unconditional love. Yeah, the thing, again, that amazes me is when Christ associated with us, he didn't surrender in any way, give up his own identity. You know, and this is one of the things when I became a Christian that kind of scared me a little bit. And that I kind of enjoyed who I was in, in some areas of my life. There are other parts that maybe not so much, and I was grateful for the way that Jesus made up the difference for me, especially when it came to my own personal self-esteem. But it's amazing how you get these ideas in your head and what it means to be surrendered to Jesus Christ, making him Lord of our lives. What am I going to have to give up? What part of my identity, or am I going to have to give up all of my identity? Well, as as good or bad as it sounds, Steve Marici, Steve Marici but before God, because of what Jesus did for me, I'm pure and blameless before God. I'm clothed in Christ, which is amazing. So when Jesus became human, he didn't give up being God. And the thing I love about that is what he was willing to do, now he sends us into the world with a mission, his strategy. And his strategy was simply that our mission be modeled on his for us, it demands being with and like Christ without loss of our own identity. I mean, think of how scary this world would be if we all give up our identity. You know, we, we kind of we hear it, you know, we have our phones on, we listen to our navigation. You know, Siri sounds pretty much the same wherever you are with Siri, right? I guess you can kind of tweak, you know, the accent. You can get a British Siri, a male Siri, a female Siri. But don't they all kind of sound the same? I mean, from a personality standpoint, it isn't all kind of the same. But I look out in this room, and that is not the case. We're diversified. We're different. It's interesting. It's fun. Sometimes not so fun, because, you know, we, we all have our quirks. We all got our issues, and sometimes they do bubble to the surface. But ultimately, the thing that unifies us all is that we are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ if we've surrendered and made Jesus Lord of our lives. The calling to us means that we're entering other people's worlds just as Jesus entered ours, without compromising Christ's convictions, values, or standards. You know, this time of year can be a little challenging. There can be a certain amount of suffering. I mean, it's the highest rate of depression of any other time of the year. A lot of reasons involved. You know, we come to the holidays. One of the first things that comes into mind is those that we've lost. There's suffering with that. There's grieving with that. There may be issues, other issues. Maybe you've lost a job. You know, maybe you don't have the finances to go after that coveted gift that your child or niece or nephew or grandbaby would like to have or you think that they would like to have. And that can all play into our mental state, emotionally. But really think this through. What Christmas does for suffering that's why, for me, I've got to make, it, make that transition from the manger to the cross. When we see Christ dying on the cross for an act of violence and injustice, then what kind of a God do we see? A condemning God? No, we see, I see, a God of love. A God that's willing to pay for my sin, for our sin. This gift of amnesty, this incredible pardon that I don't deserve. Do we see a missing God? Absolutely not. We see a God who isn't operating from some remote place somewhere, but that he's involved. And we sometimes wonder, you know, we might wonder, well, why doesn't God eliminate suffering? The only thing I can state with that is that I do know that whatever the reason is, it isn't one of indifference or remoteness or being too good to associate or interact with us. God hates suffering and evil so much that he was willing to come into it and be enmeshed in it. I have a quote from the Dorothy Sayers that some of you, some of the verbiage may not be super fired up about, but I love the point that she gets across in this. She says, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he, God, had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of the human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace. And through it all, thought every minute of it was worthwhile. See, the Bible never gives an exhaustive answer to the big question of why. But the, the ultimate unveiling, the doctrine of incarnation gives us a resource in our own suffering. God descended into the world and became vulnerable and suffered and died himself. You know, I love that one of the passages that Brian used last week, the whole Emmanuel thing, Matthew one twenty-three. he is God with us. He gives us his personal pres- presence in our own individual suffering. The thing that I love about Christianity, though, is only Christianity adds courage to God's list of attributes. He knows what it's like to experience hunger, what it's like to experience danger, injustice, rejection, torture, suffering. What other God has ever experienced death? That's the God that loves us. That's the God that has gifted us. Philippians 2, verse 7 reads, He emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Emptied himself, made himself nothing. God came to earth as a man in his external form. God truly became human. Which means that, you know, ultimately as disciples, we shouldn't be overly impressed with the outward adornments of things, the glitz, physical beauty, status, and power. Why? Because God wasn't. I mean, look at who God ushered it on in with. Shepherds. The incarnation means that God was willing to empty himself of glory and power and live humbly as a slave. That means that he became extremely ordinary himself when it came to appearance. The incarnation needs to mean for us as disciples that we don't go by appearances, perceived status, age, race, whatever. The gift of Christmas gives you a resource, a comfort and a consolation for dealing with suffering, because in it, we see God's willingness to enter the world of suffering, to suffer with us and for us. And again, you know, we talk about other gods, we talk about other religions, no other religion, whether secularism, Greco-Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism or Islam, believes God became breakable, or suffered, or had a body. The Greco-Romans believe the physical is bad, Judaism and Islam believe that... They don't believe that God would do such a thing as live in the flesh in this world. But Christmas and the Incarnation teaches us that God is concerned not only with the spiritual, because He Himself came down and took on the physical. Again, the Christmas and the Incarnation teaches that God is concerned not only with the spiritual... Because he's not just a spirit anymore. If God became human, then for those scientists in the group, ultimately what that means is matter. This actually matters. This means something. The incarnation means that God assumed a physical body and entered the world as we know it. Right. Verse 8. In the ESV it says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. It was what we saw in the ESV, emptied, humbled, even a death on a cross. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. Jesus knows what it's like to be a refugee, face persecution and hunger, poverty, to be spit on, beaten and stabbed. He knows what it's like to be dead. Three days, separated from God. Having been there in the beginning, for all of eternity, and then darkness Talk about an incredible love for each and every one of us. I mean, knowing our human frailty, how do you even contemplate? I've been around for eternity, and somebody's flipping the switch off. And I will no longer cease to exist. I will go into nothingness. But obviously, because of his faith and hope and love for God, and knowing that God loved him, he was willing to face that, put his faith and hope in that, knowing that he would be the bridge for us getting to heaven. He is fully human and can identify with our humanity. He knows everything we can experience as well as being fully God, which allows him to overcome, fix, and redeem everything that is broken about us. So we put together the incarnation and the resurrection. We see that God is not just concerned about the spirit, but he also cares about the body. He created the spirit and the body, and he will redeem the spirit and the body. The Incarnation means that God believes the world to be a good thing and that the resurrection shows us that he intends to redeem the physical world as well as the spiritual world. This means that fighting disease, injustice, and hunger is on God's agenda along with with saving souls and forgiving sins. This also means that the material world is a good thing and it is God's will for us to enjoy it. You know, that's what I love so much about the South Bay Church. I love what Brian Craig brings to the table when it comes to our worship. It helps me with my connectivity with God. I love the relationships that I would not have if I was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've got so many friends, so many people that pray for me, that are concerned with me. When I was backstage, Dustin pulled me aside and prayed before I came out. Jay Johnson will do that if he's in the hallway with me before I speak. To know that I'm loved... On so many different levels, in spite of all my shortcomings, it's amazing. This is the God we serve. This is the concern He has. I didn't have that prior to becoming a Christian. You know, what I think mean? I love the millennials. I do, inside and outside the church, because one of the things I love about them the most is they're looking for something they can trust. They're looking for a real purpose in life. And many of them outside the church engage in this area when it comes to meeting needs, trying to find something that's meaningful in the community to do. They just believe that in some instances, though, if they work hard enough, if they pour enough volunteer hours into something, that they can collectively pull everybody together and bring some justice to this world. The thing that's unfortunate, though, for those millennials that have not made Jesus Christ Lord of their life, there's no consolation when things don't go well. See, disciples have not only a passion for justice, but also the knowledge that in the end, justice will triumph. Confidence in the justice of God makes that passion for justice possible and sustainable. I love our community programs that we have where we are involved. And you know, some of them go absolutely amazing. And others, maybe not so much. But it doesn't matter. We're doing what God's called us to do. Whatever the result is, God's in control of that. It's a matter of being engaged engaged because of our love for God and demonstrating to others what Jesus Christ has done for us personally. In verse 9, it says, For this reason, Oh, you know what? Actually, I don't have a slide for that. Sorry about that. We're still in Philippians 2. In verse 9, it says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Finally, if Jesus is God Himself, became human, we live with infallible hope. Someday, all deformity, decay, sin, disease, imperfection, whatever it is that falls short, will be wiped away. In Romans 8, verse 18, it reads I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with what? The glory that will be revealed where? In us. When you surrender to Christ, you put on Christ. The waters of baptism, leaving that sin on one side of whatever body of water, horse trough, whatever it is that you got into, it's left on one side, and you come up out of that water totally purified. God's glory in you. It's amazing. What it tells us is that whatever the problem is that we face, whether in disease or injustice or some other suffering, eventually God's power will triumph over it. Psalm 30, halfway through verse 5, says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Amen. Jesus is God, and that means God has landed. Jesus is man, and that means God cares for us, for you. God has become human. And it's transforming us into his likeness. The bottom line is the world is destined for joy sooner or later. And so are all those who love and long for his appearing. You know, I want to go to a manger scene here for a moment. Uh, you know, you can't see that very well, can you? Can anybody count the number of characters that are in that scene? There we go. Okay, who's missing in that scene? Are you in that scene? There are many missing from that scene when Jesus was born and ushered into this world. How many are there now? We added one. We added one. See, there are people that missed the opportunity to be part of this scene. The innkeeper missed the opportunity to be part of this scene. The people of Bethlehem missed the opportunity. King Herod missed the opportunity. The people of Israel, by and large, missed the opportunity to be a part of this scene. The same things that kept them from being a part of the Christmas joy can keep you apart as well. It can keep us apart from Jesus. Are you a part of the scene? God's Christmas story. See, the thing that's so amazing about God, again, is that we all have the opportunity to be a part of the Christmas story, not just this time of year, but year-round, by putting our trust in Him, God, Jesus, the Savior, believing that His sacrifice washes away the stain of our sins, and that His resurrection purchases us for eternity with Him, (laughs) eternal life with Him. So we can all be a part of the Christmas story, the manger scene. But it's our choice. It's your choice. If you are willing to be a part of the Christmas story, if you're willing to offer your life to God's service, like Mary, and be obedient to God's direction, if you're willing to believe the story is true, like Joseph, if you're willing to come and see, some of you are in that mode right now. It's a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. That's invited you out, and you're just like those shepherds. You're checking it out. If you're willing to change your understanding, like the magi, if you're willing to humble yourself, like Jesus, there's so much more that this life has to offer. This life of eternity that we are given so freely. You know, we opened up this morning with the fervor we demonstrate trying to get the right gift. How much more so should we have the fervor about God's gift? You know, if you're in Bible studies right now, and you want to be right with God, what are you waiting for? It's a decision. I made it 26 years ago. This agnostic guy made it. And because of that, I've got 32 years of marriage under my belt, and two incredible kids, and a grandbaby, and daughter-in-law, son-in-law. Some are still on their journey. Some are a part of it. Are you willing to accept the gift? God extended it already 2,000 years ago and he gave it very freely. Do you want to be right with God? See, if you receive God's gift and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, how hard are you working to take care of that gift? You know, you think about some of those presents that you buy. You know, you don't want anybody to know and the extremes you go to stash it, up in the attic, in the basement, somebody else's house. Some of you, like my wife, even disguises things, you know, a big box, a little box, a smaller box, something heavy in the smallest of the boxes. But to what extreme are you willing to go to to make, t- maintain and take care of that gift? And you know what? This one I love. How many of you have ever received a gift you don't feel super good about? And you're really upset that there was no receipt in it. <laughs> so, what do we do with that gift? We re gifted. You guys are on it this morning. If there was ever more a gift that needed to be re gifted, isn't this the gift? Now is the perfect time of year to do just that. I just want to close with this thought from verse 5 in Philippians 2. Won't you make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus? knowing that there will be a day where every knee will bow, accept the gift, treasure the gift, regift gift the gift, the incarnation of Jesus. God bless. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.